anyway, so that's my gliding history. There you go. Okay. So it's, I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. It's my first time in the Watford Church. And um, thank you. And um, amen. Thank you. So, um, and because of the vast distance between where we live in Essex and you, which is probably 45 minutes, to be honest, uh, we actually came up last night and stayed in a hotel off Watford High Street. So I feel like I'm, I'm kind of fully in with the culture, kind of, or at least the culture of Watford High Street at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, okay, which is slightly different than this, amen. But anyway, I'm very excited to uh, be sharing uh, God's word with you this morning, and then a little bit later uh, doing our annual church meeting together. But first, let's focus on the word of God, and we're going to talk about a man after God's own heart. And this is a phrase that actually... Uh, is in the Bible itself. It's first found in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. And this is Samuel speaking to Saul, the first king of Israel. And he says, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Okay? So has anybody seen The, the Apprentice? The, the BBC TV kind of, yeah? Trying to avoid it. Okay, some people like it, some people hate it, whatever, okay. But there's the kind of famous moment in The Apprentice where Lord Sugar says, you're fired. And this is the you're fired moment in Saul's life. It's basically, he was been appointed the king, but he hadn't obeyed the Lord's commands pretty obviously. So God was going to take the kingship away from him and give it to somebody else. Some other person who God said had a heart just like God's. Okay, didn't say who that was in that particular scripture, but fortunately the second time this phrase appears in the Bible, it does say who it was, and this is in Acts 13, uh, this is um, Paul, he's preaching in uh, Pisidian Antioch, which is in uh, modern day Turkey, and he's kind of uh, recounting the tale from the Old Testament, after removing Saul, he made David their king, God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And this kind of very neatly um, associates a man after God's own heart with the character of David. All right. So I guess kind of we're here this morning because we're interested in God. Yeah. Okay. So we're interested in, in living a life that pleases God. Yeah. That's really what our heart's desire is. And we come to our meetings regularly to find out new ways of learning things we're doing that aren't pleasing to God and change them for things that are pleasing to God. So, so really understanding, wow, David had a heart after God's own heart. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a pretty good thing. If I, could, if I could learn some things from David's heart, that would help me have a heart like God's heart and our relationship could be so much closer. Okay, so this thing is a really uh, a good topic for us to look into. So it's all centered around the person of David. Now, the book of Psalms, okay, I've, have we all heard of the book of Psalms? Yes, good, okay. Did you know that the Hebrew word for Psalms is mizmor? Okay, Malcolm probably did, okay. <laughs> but uh, there we go, it's called mizmor. What that means, the Hebrew word, it means a poem sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. Okay, that's what it means. And the Greek translation of mizmor is psalmos. So you can see why in English we end up with the word psalm. So we, we don't have a word in English which means a poem sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. So we just stole the Greek word, basically, okay? 
transliterated it, okay? It's the English way. We steal all the best stuff. That's right. Excellent. That's right. Amen. It has. And we're not complaining. Anyway, so that's how we've ended up with the Psalms, as we call them. And it's 150 uh, poems divided into five books. Why five books? Don't really know. Maybe it's in re reference to the first five books of the, the Hebrew law, the, the Pentateuch. Maybe it's in reference to that. I don't really know. Um, but what are the Psalms? Well, they're expressions of faith from the mountaintop experience of joyous celebration to the depth of the deepest, darkest valley where the sun doesn't ever go in bitter protest. Okay, so they're really kind of cries, cries from the heart, joyous cries and bitter cries and everything in between. So that's what uh, the Psalms are. What's useful to us is that David is identified as the author of 73 of those Psalms. So in 73 of those psalms, it's, it's, it starts with a psalm of David or something like that, okay? So he's a big contributor to the entire book of psalms. And an insight Jesus gives us from Luke 6.45 is that for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, okay? So that what we say gives an indication of what's going on in our hearts, okay? So our words give an insight into our hearts, Okay? And if Jesus says that, that's probably true, all right? So what's interesting, we've got David who wrote the Psalms. So David put his words to make the Psalms, but we know that words give an indication of heart, okay? So we can look at the words David wrote in the Psalms, which gives us an indication of his heart, which then helps us understand God's heart, because God's told us that his heart, or David's heart, is like God's heart. Not perfectly the same, but enough for us to, for God to say, this is the guy, if you, if you strive to be like him, you're going to be close to me. So that's, that's a good thing for us to, to look into. So we're going to look at a, some things from Psalms that give us an indication of David's heart, which helps us to understand God's heart, and helps us give a, 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 some aspiration of where our hearts can be. All right? Yeah. Good. So let's start in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay, so let's go through this a little bit. So we've got the first paragraph, and he's talking about, God, you know me. 
Okay, he's saying you know me. And he says, you know me when I sit, you know me when I rise, you know when I go out, you know when I lie down. You know all my words. You even know the words I'm about to speak before I've even spoke them. So in the sense that David's saying, wow, God, you know, you know everything I do. Yeah, you know what I do. And then this second paragraph, he starts off with a couple of questions. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Kind of rhetorical questions. So this whole section here is about where can I go? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I'm in the, my, my bed in the depths, you're there. If I go on the far side of the sea, you're there. Basically, wherever I go, you are there. And then this last bit he's talking about, my frame was not hidden from you when I was in my mother's womb, basically. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me. So it's kind of talking about when do you see me? You saw me before I was even born. You know every, every, every moment of my life even to be. So kind of this idea of when you see me. You see me all of the time. And David's conclusion is, I'm still with you in the sense that I am always with you. So one way of breaking this down is you take the first paragraph that's really taken about whatever I do, God, you know. The second par paragraph is wherever I do it, you know. And the third paragraph is, whenever I do it, you know. And the conclusion is, I am still with you in the sense that I can't get away from you, God. Yeah? He even acknowledges in one of those, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me, will be, and the light keep me from you, God. So this sense of, I think we, I don't know, I've had moments like that when you feel like, I really don't want God to see what I'm about to do. Or we don't want God to be aware of what's about to happen. We try and hide from God. And David sounds like, he felt those temptations in his heart some of the time, but he acknowledged, you know what? I can't get away from you. Yeah, I am with you all of the time. So God knows my every move, my every word, wherever I go, however hard I might try to hide, from before I knew myself. And David's conclusion is, I am always with you. So I think the kind of the heart thing here for David, David was conscious of always being in God's presence. He was always conscious. He was conscious of always being, okay? How is that for you in terms of your consciousness of God? I think we can think about in terms of employment. You know, there's different types of employment. There's part-time employment. Who's part-time employed? Anybody amongst us? My wife is part-time employed, part-time employed. So that means you work some of the time. In a working week, you work part of that, part-time. Who's full-time employed? There we go, me too, all right? And then there's this other category, so full-time is you work the full working week. It doesn't mean you work 24-7, 365, okay? It's the full working week, okay? We work full-time. Who's vocational? Well, I mean, vocational means a type of work to which you give all your time and energy. Yeah? Yeah, that's true, okay, absolutely. But in terms of a job, who feels like they have a vocational job? Okay, good, fantastic. Okay, I think Malcolm, I'm glad Malcolm put his hand up. Okay, <laughs> yes, you kind of want, amen. Ministry life isn't, isn't clock in, clock out. Can you clock in and you clock out when you die, basically? <laughs> All right, so it's a kind of vocational. So you're going to think in terms of our, like my consciousness of God, am I only part time conscious of God? Like I'm, maybe when I go to a church meeting, I'm definitely conscious of God. But as soon as I walk out the door, my mind is on other things. 
Yeah, I've really kind of forgot. God has kind of faded out of my conscious perception. Yeah, or do it a bit more, a bit more full-time. So you're a lot more than part-time, full-time. So it lasts longer than church meetings, this consciousness of God. Or is it like a vocational job where it's every, every waking moment of the day, I am conscious of the presence of God? So I think that's how David was. Yeah, he had this consciousness of God. He was conscious of always being in God's presence. And that is something that was like the heart of God. God, God admired that in him. Obviously, God's always conscious of God's presence. Amen. Um, but that was a quality of David's heart that, you know, where I, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm doing it, whenever I'm, whenever I'm doing it, Lord, you're there. Yeah. And um, this is something I've been working on myself. Yeah. Um, you know, every time you prepare a sermon, the first person who gets to hear it is yourself. And then the first person who gets, con- gets convicted by it is yourself. And uh, I really started thinking about that for myself. And I feel like, I don't think about God. I'm not conscious of God all of the time. A lot of the time, but not all of the time. So I've really been striving to get more, just inc- grow in my consciousness of always being in the presence of God. Okay? I think one of the advantages of doing that is, you know, for those of us who work and have a, who have a boss... Any of us got a boss at work? Yeah? How do we behave when the boss is around? Yeah, or at school, how do we behave when the teachers are watching? Yeah? We behave better. Yes? Hopefully. So uh, it kind of makes a difference. And I think that's the idea. If when we're conscious of being in the presence of God, it makes a difference. Not, it's not some conceptual thing. It actually makes a difference in how we live. Yeah? And I think because David was conscious of God, he lived this incredible life. Yes, he's definitely messed up from time to time, and hugely. But, but generally speaking, he, ha- he, was, he was extremely conscious of being in the presence of God. That's something for us to really think about in our own lives. Let's read on a little bit more, carrying on in the same psalm. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, this is where everybody goes a bit quiet and figure out, okay, what is going on here? Okay, so it's kind of full of words like, slay the wicked, and I hate this, and I abhor that, and I have hatred for them, and they're my enemies. Yeah, and we think, wait a minute, this is, I'm not actually aiming to be like that in any way. Can it, like, this is, reminds me of my life before I was a Christian. Yeah, <laughs> hating and abhorring and viewing people as enemies. Hopefully we didn't slay the wicked, but maybe we did that as well, okay? But like, okay, so what's going on here? Well, first off, when you read the Psalms, you often come across sections like this. It would seem a bit like, what is going on here? Um, and they're called imprecatory psalms. Even the parts of psalms or even whole psalms can look like, look like this. An, an, an imprecatory psalm is a cursing psalm or a vengeance psalm. Okay? Again, two words that aren't really Christian. Okay? And obviously we're thinking about a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart and then he's like this. How does that all fit together? Okay? 
Well, I think the thing here is, is why is David like this, okay? Who is the focus? We look at it, he's, he's getting upset because people are speaking of God with evil intent. They're misusing God's name. They are, they're people who hate God. There are people who are in rebellion against God. And that stirred something in David. David was stirred when God was dishonored. Okay? So he definitely wasn't dull and passive. He was expressive and active. Okay. Now, back in the Old Covenant, slaying the wicked was an okay thing to do. Okay, let me just clarify. That is not okay now. All right? We don't do that, all right? Just, just thought I'd better mention that just in case, okay? So, but what you can say about David, g- given, given the rules that govern his life, he, 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 he was irritated when God was being dishonored. Yeah, he wasn't just, it wasn't just kind of bland and, well, whatever, yeah. He didn't just tolerate it. Something stirred within him, okay? And now, you know, we live in a very tolerant an increasingly tolerant society. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We should definitely learn to respect everybody. Everybody's a human being created by God. They have the right to make their choices in their life. Amen. That's okay. But the downside of that is we can then start in our hearts getting dulled to, to stuff. Dulled in our, in our tolerance of people, we can start being tolerant of things that actually God doesn't like. Yeah, and, and, and people start misusing the name of God or dishonoring God. And while we might tolerate that as a person, what does it do to your heart? It should stir us. It stirred David. You know, we don't respond outwardly in the way he did, but are we just so passive that anybody can say anything and, and, our, and our heart doesn't flutter anything? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't David's heart. That's not God's heart. God's very big into his own honor and glory. Okay, but your heart, even in the church, yeah, as, as disciples, brothers and sisters, when we see things, other people doing stuff, we feel like, wait a minute, that's not, does not doesn't fulfill my understanding of what a Christian is supposed to do. Are we just dull and passive or whatever? Or do we, do we talk about it? Do we bring it up respectfully, lovingly, appropriately? Or are we just tolerate anything and everything? David, David didn't tolerate everything and anything. He had this, he had a heart that was able to be stirred when God was dishonored. Not a, not a heart that was stirred when people were getting at him. It was God's honor he was bothered about. Yeah, I think that's a quality we can all really think about and grow in. Let's read on a little bit more. Okay, just the idea of justice and mercy. You know, God is a God of justice and he's a God of mercy. God is a God of right and wrong and he's a God of grace. Which sometimes like, how can all that fit together? Well, like, it does in God. Yeah? And, and in order to be like God, we need to have both. Now, the Bible teaches us mercy triumphs over justice. Okay? But it doesn't mean there isn't any, there isn't any justice. There isn't any right and wrong. There is right and wrong. We need to be very clear on that. Now, we, then we treat people with grace. But we've we got we to draw out the right and the wrong. So are we getting more and more tolerant of anything and indifferent to the, how God feels about it? Are we, are we getting more and more stirred in our hearts about the lostness of the world and even some of the challenges within church? We've got to deal with that appropriately and lovingly, as Jesus would. But he felt things. Look, Jesus, look at Jesus in the, in the temple. 
turning over the tables. Yeah, that wasn't dull and passive. Now, I'm not saying we should <laughs> do the same thing, but we should imitate the heart. Yeah, we talk about um, Paul in some of his writings gets really strong with people. Yeah, are we tolerating everything to the point of dullness and passivity? Or have you got this heart like David? I get stirred in my heart because people are dishonoring God. People can abuse me, that's okay. But not God. That's going to stir me to do something. That was David's heart. Something, some quality we can really think about. So we've done a little bit more. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, so David kind of um, very humbly brings up two, two, well, what, two issues. One is, you know, God, I get these anxious thoughts. And, we're gonna, and also, I, I'm, I'm really concerned that um, I don't have any offensive way in me. Okay? Um, so he had a humility about what he was like and also a real desire to really live a life that really pleased God. We'll go on to examine um, both of these uh, in some other psalms. Psalm 143, Psalm 141. So firstly, about anxious thoughts, Psalm 143, 1 to 5. This says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like lows long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Okay, so this is a Psalm of David. And like a number of his Psalms, it, it starts off with, Lord, hear my prayer. Okay, he's praying to God. And it's not just any old prayer. It's listen to my cry. This is coming from some, a, a, a time of distress. He's asking God to come to his, his relief. So this is not your typical morning quiet time. This is like, wow, I'm really having a hard time, God, and I'm struggling, and I need your help. And he gives us an insight into, into what kind of trouble is going on. He talks about the enemy is pursuing him. Okay, And this probably literally means that he is having to run around the country because literally... People are after him with swords, okay? Um, that's literally what's, literally what's going on, okay? So he's, the enemy is pursuing him. He says he crushes, the enemy's crushing him to the ground, okay? That's, that's not a pleasant thing, yeah? You know, one of, one of the things my, me and my son uh, have, have, have done through life is kind of play wrestle, yeah? That's what kids, dads do, kind of, they wrestle, Amen. At least in my household. So kind of me and my son would wrestle. And when he was, and, um, now, when he was little, um, he was obviously a lot smaller than me. So I didn't want to overwhelm him. Okay, so we came up with the, the, the magic word. And the magic word is stop. And if one of us says stop, we stop. Okay, the crushing finishes. All right? <laughs> so, uh, so obviously when he was younger, he was the one who used the word stop a lot. Now he's 22, and we still wrestle. I'm the one who uses the word stop a lot, because it's, it's not pleasant sometimes when you've got this kind of big, strong man pinning you to the ground. He's having a great time. My bones are all out of joint, okay? And, uh, and it's nice to be able to say, okay, stop, and then he'll usually get off, okay? So, uh, so but that's kind of fun. But imagine he crushes me to the ground without relenting. So that becomes like that feeling of being crushed is now the permanent feeling of my life. 
That's a horrible place to be. That's a horrible. I don't know where you've had times in your life like that. He describes it. He makes me dwell in the darkness. Yeah. And then he describes that. What kind of darkness? Well, the darkness like those long dead. Imagine people who've kind of been buried. You think about people buried six feet under. There's not a lot of light gets down six feet under the ground. And those long dead, about, they've just been in this kind of dark, dark situation for, for, for just such a long time. That's kind of, David's expressing, this is what it feels like in my life right now. This is why I'm praying for, for help from God. And he talks about the impact it's having. It's, my spirit is growing faint. It's not like these, 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 these circumstances are just, he's just, they don't know, water off a duck's back. They're having an impact. They're having an effect on him. He's, he's, his spirit's growing faint. When your spirit grows faint, when you, yeah, I've only fainted once in my life. It was in um, South Africa. It's 10, we're on holiday, and we went to this, um, um, this organization that put nets out into the sea to stop sharks coming into the beach that, to eat people, okay? <laughs> so which sounds like a good thing to do, all right? And then when, they, when the sharks got caught in the nets, now interestingly, the sharks often got caught in the nets not coming in to the beach, they got caught going out from the beach, which is like, okay, that's interesting thought, especially as I'd been on that beach, amen. So, um, and then the sharks they captured, they put in a big deep freeze, and then they would kind of dissect them to learn about sharks and things like that. And one of the things they did on the tour was, you went in this enormous kind of mortuary, and they pulled out a shark, and they dissected it in front of everybody. There's about 50 people. So I thought that was, it sounded great, but my, my spirit kind of grew a bit faint at that point, all right? So, um, so but, but it's horrible when you, fainting is kind of like, you, I should be strong, and yet, this, actually, I'm just losing all control. I'm like, I'm just weak. That's what he's talking about. His spirit's growing faint within him. His heart within me is dismayed. So, I mean, we all go through periods of sadness, and even maybe dis, dismay is such a sad word. Yes, yeah, like the depths of sadness and weariness. So this is, he's not in a great place, okay? Just bad circumstances in his life, and these circumstances are really taking a toll on his spirit. But he gives us an insight. What does he do at this point? Well, he did three things. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. So he starts to remember God. He starts to remember what God has done. He starts to meditate on the things God has done with his hands. Maybe he, he thought back to the time when Israel was in captive, in, uh, captive in, in Egypt. Now, 400 years, that's a long time of bad circumstances. But God did come through and set them free. Or maybe, maybe we remember the, the story of Joseph, where Joseph, despite trying to be a righteous man, ended up in prison and then forgotten about for years. But then God came through. Maybe he's remembering these things. But he had this attitude of he could, he could remember things, he could meditate on things he could consider. But he had this perspective, David trained his mind to focus and know God. <coughs> you know, oftentimes when I'm in bad circumstances that are affecting me, I focus on the circumstances. I focus on the people causing these circumstances and start to get a bit off with them in my head. 
Yeah, and we, and we start to think about ways to get out of these circumstances, and why it's unfair I'm in these circumstances, and how terrible it is. Well, I'm sure David did a bit of that, but, he's, but he, what he's saying here is, you know what? Yes, 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 I, but I'm going to remember God. I'm going to remember the Lord and what he has done, and throughout the ages, he's delivered people in terrible situations. So if he's done that with others, amen, it helps my faith that he will do that with me. I want to remember. You're going to remember things you know. So he's learnt these stories, so he can remember them. He meditates on them. It's not some fleeting thought. It's thoughts he keeps on going over, or chewing on, considering, really thinking about. So David really trained his mind to focus and know God. Again, I think that's a great quality of David's heart that God wants us to uh, really to learn from. And then in Psalm 141. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Okay, so again, he's in some kind of stress situation. Come quickly, Lord, call to you. Um, but this time he's thinking about, okay, so I'm in this difficult situation, but his prayer isn't really on the situation. It's on help me to, help me to be godly in this situation. And the first thing he talks about is set a guard over my mouth. Now, what's the first thing that usually goes when we're in a stress, somebody's again attacking us, we're in a stress situation, somebody's causing us trouble, isn't it usually, yeah. we just say stuff, yeah? Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, yeah? Parents to children, children to parents, that's usually, I know often with me it's, I don't like something, the first, first thing that, that shows that I don't like this something is the the words that come out of my mouth. And David's acknowledging that. The first thing is saying, you know what? I've got, a, I've got a tendency to just set a guard. Set a guard over my mouth so that nothing bad comes out. I want to be righteous. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. You know, David's very conscious. I, I know when I'm getting discouraged, evil things start looking a lot nicer. When I'm not getting my joy from the Lord, I start looking for other things to get joy from. Yeah, sin, stuff on the TV or the internet, or just lusting for people or stuff or something, or even um, getting bad thoughts about other people who've maybe caused this situation. Yeah, we all, we all got our places we go to. And he's saying, I'm like that, but don't let my heart be drawn to evil. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Yeah. Um, it's funny that most of the time, when we're kind of, kind of focused and excited in our faith, what other people do in their lives isn't that important. It doesn't matter to us. They're just eating food. But when we're a bit discouraged in our, in our, in our spirit with the Lord, suddenly their food looks actually quite delicious. Yeah, it looks like a delicacy. Yesterday it was just food. But actually, that looks really nice. Yeah, what they've got in their life. So my, yesterday I was happy with my TV. Today, actually, they've got a better TV than I have. Yeah, yesterday I was fine in the Lord and my car was perfectly okay. 
today I'm discouraged and actually my neighbors have all got better cars than me. How our heart goes after all of these things and we get, we get attracted to the, del the what, what normally we don't even notice suddenly becomes a delicacy. And David was like that, but he was saying, keep, keep, my, keep me from being like that. Then he says, let a righteous man strike me. When's the last time you invited somebody to just go on, give it me, give me your best. Go That's not a usual thing. But he's saying, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. I've never put oil on my head, okay? But it sounds like a soothing, nice thing to do. Okay, but that's David's attitude to, you know what? I want to be righteous before God with what I speak, with what, where my heart goes. And, I, I am, and, 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 and if people are seeing things in my life that aren't pleasing to God, I want them to tell me. And if I don't listen, they can rebuke me. And if I don't listen, they can slap me across the chops or kick me up the backside, literally. Is that what we invite people to do? Yeah, or oh, actually we're more bothered about the, the exact words they use to bring something up in the first place. And it, the fact that it didn't meet our definition of sensitive. Is that, are we more bothered about how somebody brings something up or what they bring up? Yeah, sometimes I think we get more bothered about how. We can be clearly in the wrong, but somebody brings it up, and we get more upset with the fact that they brought it up or how they brought it up with the fact that, wait a minute, they're pointing out something in my life that isn't right, and I'm, ups I'm shooting the messenger. When they're trying to bring a message to help me do something I claim I want to do, which is live a life that's pleasing to God. It's good for us to think about. David had a radical attitude. They had a righteous man. Strike me. I'd rather have a black eye than a black heart. That's a radical attitude to righteousness. David cared about doing God's will more than his own comfort or safety. Is that us? You know, Proverbs 27.6, which could well have been something that David had also said, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Okay? Amen. What kind of friends do we have? What kind of people do we surround ourselves with? What, what do we invite them to do? Just kiss us all of the time? No, we like being kissed, and that's appropriate. But do we have friends who will, who will wound us because we've invited them? Because that's what we actually need, okay? Where's that? What, what, what would we rather have? Righteousness or multiplied kisses. David would rather have righteousness. And I think that's another quality that, that God wants us to learn from him. So David was conscious of always being in God's presence, was stirred when God was dishonored, trained his mind to focus and know God. He remembered what God had done. He meditated on it. He considered it. And he cared about doing God's will more than his own comfort or safety. He was conscious of, man, I've got to watch what I speak. I've got to watch where my heart goes. I've got to surround myself with friends who will also be concerned about my righteousness. I'm going to invite them to be concerned about my righteousness. David, a man after God's own heart. Hopefully there's something useful for each one of us in that. Thank you.